blogging is going to have a resurgence. This mm. is my prediction. So I feel like from like 2014 to now, it's kind of been on the decline. Like people can't be bothered with it. They don't see the point. They just want to put all their effort into social media. But I do feel that blogging has always had a place, especially if you're producing like searchable content. So I think that blogging is the best way to get traction to your website because you're updating it regularly. Google reads it, SEO, all that stuff. So I've blogged the whole way through. But these days, like especially in this lockdown period where people are literally glued to their phones 24-7, <laughs> you have a captive audience. So why not try and encourage them to click through to your website or offer them some content that you can't put on social media and yes you'll probably get less eyeballs on it initially because people have to click through or swipe up and people are really lazy when it comes to scrolling online but it's all searchable content it'll be there forever my most popular blog post of all time i think i published it maybe five years ago i looked at it the other day it has had 850,000 unique visits and those have happened over that five-year period and it's all from google This is the Ideas Lab podcast, where you can learn from great creative and entrepreneurial minds how to turn your ideas into original businesses, books, and brands. Because in a crowded world, it pays to stand out. This is your host, John Williams, best-selling author and founder of the Ideas Lab London. When Kat Williams started planning her own wedding, she found the standard offers of the wedding industry uninspiring. She started exploring alternatives to the standard wedding to find something that she really loved. And she started to share these on a blog and on social media. This turned into Rock and Roll Bride, now one of the biggest wedding blogs in the world. And the bi-monthly magazine, Rock and Roll Bride magazine, is nationally available. When it was launched in 2015, it was reported as being the fastest and best-selling debut issue of a magazine ever. It also sold out for online orders within 72 hours with over a thousand copies selling in the first day alone. Cat has gone on to write a book, Rock and Roll Bride, The Ultimate Guide for Alternative Brides, which came out in 2019 and immediately shot up to number one in Amazon's wedding, marriage and relationship category. Kat has 100,000 followers on Instagram and she's now decided to broaden her focus so that she can approach other areas of life rather than just weddings. We talk about all of this in a fascinating conversation about branding, blogging and getting traction with an alternative idea. Hi, Kat. Thanks very much for joining us on the Ideas Lab podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, you run Rock and Roll Brides, which I think is a fantastic brand and, and looks wonderful. Why don't you tell us, first of all, what is Rock and Roll Brides? What does it consist of and what's the purpose of it? So Rock and Roll Bride is a print magazine and a blog dedicated to alternative weddings. So I started it when I was engaged in 2007 as a way to like talk about my wedding, basically. It was just a blog, like a personal blog. Um, and then after we got married in 2008, I just kind of carried it on as a way to like share weddings I found online that I thought were different and cool. And like I made a lot of friends through doing that. So that was really fun. Um, so I've been doing it since then, basically. It became a print magazine in 2015. Um, so we kind of went the opposite way 
that a lot of media was going. We started with a blog and now we have a print magazine rather than the other way around. Um, So, yeah, it's basically a blog and a magazine and a brand for like weirdos and different people and us like gothy, crazy, colorful freaks. (laughs) I like it. Yeah. And you featured, in fact, my assistant Ben, uh, his wedding with Jen, which is a I'd never heard this term before, a rainbow wedding. I've never been married. Yeah. I don't have a terminology, but it's like you don't just pick one colour, you pick multiple colours. You've got all the colours of the spectrum and you've got a few examples of that. Which I think yeah, I remember their wedding. Amazing. She had an orange and a red underskirt, I think, didn't she? Yeah, and and, and a sort of spectrum of colours on the bridesmaids as well, which is really cool. Yeah. So I like this. So you started because basically the, the typical um, – the bridal, what do you call it? The wedding industry is very girly, very traditional, very, you know, white dress and, and formal. And that wasn't really chiming with you. Is that the, was that the problem? Pretty much. So, yeah, I mean, I started the blog without any kind of agenda. Like it wasn't supposed to be a business or a career or anything other than like an embarrassing hobby, I suppose. I just wanted to talk about my wedding to anyone that would listen. Um, And this was obviously before Facebook groups and Pinterest and Instagram. So like having a blog was like the way to show who you were online. Um, So, yeah, it started as a hobby. And then I just found that naturally I was sharing things that were more alternative. Like as soon as we got engaged, I went out and bought every single wedding magazine. And I was like, this is all terrible. I don't want any of this. Like, I don't want that princess dress. I don't want to spend 500 pounds on a car to take me three miles down the road. Like, why do I have to spend all this money? Um, and yeah, it kind of naturally morphed into being alternative inspiration because that's kind of the kind of stuff I was interested in. Um, and then it sort of gathered a bit of an audience and people that were like, oh yeah, this is something we haven't seen before. And, um, it was a very organic process. That's brilliant. I I remember when my brother got married something like 20 years ago, so the numbers will be even worse now, but he said like, John, everything's measured in thousands. It's like, (laughs) I'd like a car. Oh, that'd be a thousand pounds. I'd like some flowers. How many thousands would you like to spend on flowers? It's It's a little bit like when you do a house (laughs) and suddenly you're spending 35 grand on a kitchen and feeling like that's a good deal. (laughs) Yes, that's right. And before you buy that, you just go like, how do people spend so much money when they're rich? It's like, well, it's very easy. Yeah. And so you, you, the, the magazine is that how often does the magazine come out? It's bi-monthly, so six issues a year. Cool. And is this the, uh, it looks, it, it, was there a book as well? There was a book. I published a book in January 2019 that came out. So it's been out just over a year and a bit now. And the the blog itself, uh, you know, things might have changed recently. We'll talk about that in a moment. Um, but the, the blog itself, is this your main source of income now? Um, blog and magazine, I guess. No, I would say it's the magazine at, and the brand as a whole. I mean, when we first started monetizing the blog, we made money from banner advertising, Google ads, and when a brand wanted to pay for like a sponsored post. So like we talk about them, link to their site, all that stuff. And that's pretty much the only way we made money. These days, I'd say the majority of our income comes from print magazine adverts, ironically, um, and selling our own products, so selling the magazine. And then I have a few collaborations with different brands. So I have a Veil collaboration with a company called Crown and Glory, um, where we both promote it and we share the profits. And I have a few little things like that that are like under the brand umbrella. So it's not really passive income, like, like you might think a blog could be, or it might have used to have been. It's definitely more of an effort these days, but it's the brand rather than just the website itself that monetizes. 
Right. No, that makes sense to me. And do you have paid placements on Instagram and stuff like that? I do them occasionally. So um, I'm in a little bit of a flux at the moment because I my main Instagram account is Rock and Rob Ride, which is when I first started it, it was my personal account with a little bit of wedding stuff thrown in. Um, and that's where I have most of my followers. And that's where I was getting a lot of sort of sponsored posts on there. But it was all wedding brands. And then I started noticing more lifestyle brands wanted to like me to promote myself as opposed to wedding. So it was like I did an advert for a car company. I did like clothing stuff, stuff with makeup people, hair color people. Um, so stuff that's more about me rather than weddings. Um, and because I've now been married for 12 years, I was a little bit like, well, actually, I quite want to talk about other stuff online. So I sort of lent into the more personal side of my Instagram. And I started a second Instagram account for the wedding stuff. So now we have these two very distinctive brands, I suppose, even though my name is still Rock and Rob Ride on Instagram because I can't change it because I'm verified. Um, so, yeah. Oh, I see. So your personal profile now has something like 100,000 followers. Is that right? Yeah. Even, and it's called Rock and Roll Bride, and it's verified, so you don't want to mess with that. But then you started a new one, which was Rock and Roll Bride magazine. Correct, yeah. And you've already got something like 20K, I think, following you on that. Yeah, about 21, 22, mm. yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, a question that occurs to a lot of people who experiment with Instagram is, like, you put stuff out there and absolutely nothing happens. It's like right. you never build any traction. So what did you do differently in order to get yourself to 100,000 followers on your personal profile? Well, I think the key with any social media is it's not about just using it as your own personal portfolio, like the me show, like the Cat Williams show. Like people don't really care. Like they do care, but they don't. Like people really, if you think about who you follow online, you generally follow people online that are helpful that are inspiring, that make you feel something. And it's not just about like posting a pretty picture and getting loads of likes. Like you might look at these like influencers that have, you know, a million followers and they get 60,000 likes on a post that's a selfie and like a two word caption. But that doesn't really happen to that many people. Like it's a very particular type of person online that can have a business that, or it's not even really a business, but a profile that does that. So really I make a real effort to make sure that my captions are helpful or inspiring to people. So I'm asking them questions. I'm sharing things that I think are going to help them so that they're going to take something from it because people ultimately want to follow people online that, you know, that help them and that, um, you know, improve their lives. I think that's a really good point. And I I read this uh, great book, The Culting of Brands. And uh, it's a really, it should be a better known uh, book. This guy studied... He was head of marketing at some big brands, and he um, he studied cults all around the world, both the the cult brands like um, Apple, for instance, but also the religious cults, some of which are benign and some of which are obviously have been very destructive. And he drew out the ideas that were that made a cult work. And one of the things is that. I think there is that that shift that you described where even with those famous influences, I think people are not in – yes, they might look up to, I don't know, Kim Kardashian or something. But if you don't follow them, you don't appreciate that they represent something for the person. So they represent mm-hmm. a set of values. They represent authenticity, 
um, or whatever it might be, or being a bit unconventional and being okay with being that and so on. And if you express that regularly enough and you do it in the right way, mm-hmm. people want to follow you for that reason because, yeah. you know, particularly whenever I think anybody who dares to say things in the world that other people think but dare not say, that seems to be part yeah. of the formula for success. And I think he did that around wed- weddings initially and said, like, this white fluffy stuff is not working for everybody. It's not working for me. And it's not, there's a whole sub, sub, you know, culture of people who want to get married but don't want to do that thing. Mm-hmm. So it seems like you've, you've organically found something that's worked really well. I'm a bit of a big mouth. That's the problem. And also, I, I hate being told what to do. <laughs> and I hate following the crowd. I always have. I've always been a bit of an outsider. Like at school, I had like two friends. And yeah, I, I just, I guess I'm just the kind of person that doesn't care if people, I mean, I do want people to like me, but then also I don't really care if you don't. Like I would rather be my authentic self and say something that might rile some people up the wrong way rather than like stifle who I am and try and fit in. Like who the fuck wants to fit in? Not me. I think that's a really good combination you touched on there. And the people I follow and, and what I aspire to be, it's like, is like that I you know use your narcissism. We all have a strain <laughs> of narcissism in us, and I don't think you yours is necessarily any greater than anybody else's. But we all it's so proportionless anyway. Those of us who are extroverts like the attention you can get on social media. I know I do, mm-hmm. and um, might as well use it in a constructive way. And as long as you're managing it, so you're not turning into some sort of like crazy, you know, genuinely destructive cult leader, then, mm. <laughs> uh, and you have some kind of awareness around it, then you can do something positive with it. But it needs to be paired with a certain robustness against negativity. I mean, I would imagine mm. anybody who is visible gets backlashes. Have you experienced that on Instagram or elsewhere? Dude, you have no idea. Yes, of course I have. <laughs> but everyone, I, I, everyone in the wedding industry must be so nice and lovely. I can't imagine that anybody would. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag no comment <laughs> can you give us an example i mean who's been the most has it been people in the industry or has it been people getting married that have taken most exception um it's people in the industry so from my point of view my goal has always been to speak to people who i see are just like me so i started my brand for myself and because i was a bride and i was struggling with trying to find anything different. So my focus has always been like the brides or the grooms or the people that are getting married, right? And I feel that in the early days, I was just talking to couples that were getting married. And then we started getting a bit of a following. And then the people in the wedding industry saw what I was doing. And they were like, oh, I want a part of that. Like, I want to advertise. I want to be in with that brand, which is great. I mean, that's how I, how I built my business. But then sometimes there's a conflict there between what the consumer or the bride and grooms really want and then what the industry wants. And I remember back in the day, you know, when I was saying, oh, do you know what? You can just buy flowers from a supermarket and make your own bouquet. And the florists were fucking mad at me. (laughs) And, you know, I've said, you don't have to go to a bridal boutique and spend four grand on a dress. You could buy one from ASOS. And then the wedding dress people were mad at me. (laughs) So, you know, I've had, I've had many experiences of that, but for me, um, you know, the couples and my core audience have always been the people that I care about. And if 
the industry wants to come and be in my party, then brilliant. But if they also want to sit on the side and be mad about what I'm saying, well, I don't, don't owe you anything because if you don't pay my mortgage, then I don't give a fuck what you have to say. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love that attitude. And I think, you know, there's it, it's funny how we move towards the mainstream. I read a book by John Waters, which is actually based on his commencement address he gave at some university in America. And John Waters was considered the most shocking film director in, I guess it was maybe the 80s or something. Uh, and those who were, around, who were around in the 80s will know some of the, some of the things are so shocking that I can't even mention that he became famous for. And, uh, I mean, partly the fact he was gay and he represented uh, alternative kind of gay culture maybe was part of it. But... Um, but there was a whole bunch of other stuff too. But what he said was that now he's considered the mainstream. And he said, I didn't change. Mm. He said, what happened was the mainstream caught up. And I yes. think that's what you're seeing. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. So I feel like when we first started, it was extremely left field to be saying, you know, you don't have to spend 20,000 pounds on a wedding. You can buy your dress from ASOS. But these days people have caught up and they're like, oh, actually I'm going to I want to be part of this. I think that it's cool to do a DIY wedding. And I think it's cool to say that love is the thing that matters the most. Um, and then when I say something new, that's a little bit away from that, it's all shocking again. Yeah. And I haven't changed. I've always been outspoken. I've always sworn too much on Instagram. I've always posted photos that would have never been featured in Brides magazine. Like that's always what the brand has been about. And I think people forget that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And um, now you've, if you, would it be fair to say that you've pivoted a little bit recently? You know, what's happened, given at the time recording, we're in lockdown and that's obviously is throwing the, God knows what's going on with the wedding industry, but it's basically on hold, <laughs> I would imagine. Is that Everyone's part, freaking out. <laughs> yeah, right. I would, I'm not surprised. So, yeah. I mean, is that why you've changed or are, are there other reasons going on? Um, yes and no. I mean, I've been doing this now for 12, 13 years. So if I was only talking about veils and wedding dresses, I would have killed myself a long time ago. Like there's only so much you can talk about uh, <laughs> weddings, you know. Um, I love weddings. I, I, you know, I love looking at weddings. I love seeing people's ideas and the creativity, but I still have a lot of other interests. And I've done lots of other things over the years. You know, I did the Blog Academy workshop, which is a traveling workshop that taught people about blogging and running an online business. Um I've done lots of different things. And I think recently, I would say in the last year or so, I've or the last couple of years, I've really been on like a self-improvement, self-love journey. Um, so I had an eating disorder drew, throughout my teens and my early 20s, which came to like a head and started to, I started to finally recover, ironically, when I got engaged and when I got married. So that was very much in my reasoning for a lot of the stuff I posted about like, you know, not having to lose weight for your wedding, not changing who you are for your wedding, because that's how I was experiencing it too. Um, so that has always been a big part of me. Uh, and then when I started sort of slowly pivoting my personal Instagram to be more about me, it just felt very natural to talk about that stuff too. So to talk about how, you know, I've been building my confidence and how I am who I am and how I don't think anyone should diet to get into a bikini or whatever. Um, and it was a very natural thing. Um, and I guess I am leaning more into that now because of lockdown. And it's not a reaction to the wedding industry shutting down or anything. It's just something I've always been into. And now I'm seeing more opportunities to explore that um, mm. and to pivot it. And yeah, it's something I've been doing for a little while, but I think people are maybe just starting to notice now because I'm being more vocal about that stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, 
Um, <coughs> I went, I saw a talk, God, it's probably a very long time ago now, by Daniel Priestley, who's a, a business guru. And um, he said, like, you know, what should people often ask him, what should they do when they, when they get bored or they, they feel like moving on? And what he said was, don't move on, move up. So instead of just going on to what seems like an unrelated field and, you know, taking a sidestep or something, what you're actually doing is you're moving above this. So now you're going from the brand of rock and roll brides to the brand, a kind of personal brand. And yeah. that personal brand is a bit broader and it encompasses everything you've learned about entrepreneurship, but also everything you've learned about your own personal development journey along the way. So that kind of, rather than, I, I don't see it as like you, what you've walked away from something, it's more like you've gone up and that still encapsulates some of the, you know, some of the stuff to do with weddings and so on. I would yeah. Imagine. I mean, I'm basically speaking to the same audience. So I'm still speaking to people that are like alternative, colorful, fun, like yeah. people like me. Um, so it doesn't seem like a huge disconnect because it's the same person. And, yeah. you know, people get married, they, they're engaged, they're 18 months later, they're married and they then might leave the brand and not have nothing yeah. to do with Rock and Roll Bride again. So it's quite nice to like have other stuff to keep them interested. Um, and I have people that have followed my account for years that have been married years ago, but they still follow along because they like my voice and they like what I represent and they like to hear what I have to say, whether it's about weddings or whether it's about all the other stuff. That's a good point, actually, because one of the challenges of one of those events that you might only do once maybe a couple of times is, is the, you know, once you've, once they bought something from you and, and learned from you, it's kind of, it might be over. So in this way, right. you can give it some longevity. Yeah. And how did the blog Academy come about? How did you get involved so, with that? So the blog Academy was a workshop that we did. Um, it was me and two of my friends, uh, Shauna Hyder, who is actually my graphic designer mm. uh, and Gala Darling, who is like a self-love, like, amazing, inspirational human. Um, and she, those two girls, I met them online, obviously. <laughs> and we met in person in 2012. We happened to be in, so the two of them were friends already because they both live in the States. Um, I was in Vegas at the same time as they were in 2012. We met up and liked each other. And because we were all bloggers, that's all we spoke about all week. Um, and we basically came up with the idea of doing that workshop on that trip. Um, because I was already doing some sort of talks over here in the UK about blogging. Um, and I was talking about how I did it and I got paid for it and it was really fun. And they were like, oh, we want a piece of this. Like, how can we do it as a threesome? Um, and we did basically, and we traveled all over the world and we did, I think we taught around 1500 people, mostly women, um, in person. And then we did that from 2012 to 2014, end of 2014, um, and then we decided to record one of the classes to film it and then to sell it as an online course. Because at that point, I was just starting the magazine. Um, Gala had got her first book deal and Shauna had just opened her own design studios. So we were mm. all really busy with other things. And we were like, we can't really be traveling every eight weeks and also doing all these new things with our business. So that's kind of what it was. So you created your, So what does the Blog Academy do now? You have online courses, do you? So it's kind of you know, had a bit of a hiatus. So we did uh, the online course, which kind of just ticked over and sold a few every few months because we didn't really promote it. We were all, we're all been very busy doing our own thing. Um, and with uh, lockdown and quarantine and everything, we kind of thought, you know what, let's, 
let's see, let's offer this course to people again and see if that you know this is the perfect time to work on your business. Um, this is the perfect time to figure out what you want to do and like work on your social media presence and stuff. So we decided to like slash the price of the course and um, offer it for a week at fifty dollars, forty nine dollars when before it was five hundred. Um, so we've sold a fuck ton of them <laughs> and it's great <laughs> people are like really like loving the course obviously it was filmed in 2014 so a lot of it is out of date but um actually the core I was watching back some of the videos this week and the core of what we talk about is still very relevant so I may not use Twitter anymore but the things I'm saying about how to engage an audience and the kind of content to write is still extremely relevant yeah and because uh, a lot of it is about approach and mindset even when the details of particular social networks and marketing strategies change. I, I was interested, you said you don't use Twitter anymore. Why, why is that? I don't know. I just don't find it fun anymore, I think. I think <laughs> I, would, I would go on there and it would just be politics and like spam. And I was like, I don't feel that my audience is really on Twitter. Yeah. I just don't think the kind of person I'm speaking to cares that too much about Twitter. So I think that whatever I'm doing online, it has to be fun and it has to be, make me feel good. Otherwise I'm going to not want to do it. So for me, I enjoy being on Instagram. So that's where I put my effort. Yeah, no, I agree. And I've kind of given up on Twitter, although I'm getting a little bit more into it now because I'm following some people about the coronavirus. Um, and then I retweet some of their stuff if it's interesting, but that's about it. But I mm. brace myself for, for, for blowback every time I post or, or yeah. uh, re- even retweet something because it's a fairly vicious place. I even feel that Facebook's a bit like that now. No, it's interesting. I mean, the good thing about Facebook is at least you can block people. Uh, well, you can block people on Twitter, True. I guess, but you can, you know, you can put things for friends only and stuff like that. So Facebook, and plus you have to have your real profile on Facebook. So it tends True. to, anywhere where you've got a real profile, it tends to temper people's obnoxiousness because they're I haven't experienced that. <laughs> oh, really? yeah (laughs) so when you're posting on instagram how often do you post to instagram i post on my personal grid at least once a day sometimes Mm. twice and i post on stories maybe like four to five times a day um i've actually just hired someone to do the rock and roll bride social so the magazine side of it so the the magazine instagram and the magazine facebook um so she's posting like two to three times a day on both as well now. So that's interesting. So once a day to the grid, the main thingy. And once or twice, yeah. Yeah, and then four to five times on the story. So what are you putting in the story? Because for a lot of people who aren't posting regularly, we, they would be quite shocked by that amount of output. But this is what Gary Vaynerchuk is always saying. You've got to be putting out, you know, six stories a day. What are you putting in those stories? These are the things that exist for 24 hours if people don't know. It's mostly just like what I'm up to. Like, again, it's my personal account. So it's the things that people seem to engage with the most, which is pictures. Like at the moment, I'm at home. So it's my cats. It's behind the scenes of what I'm doing uh, with work. It's uh, things in the house that I think people will like. Um, It's just fun little like behind the scenes, like the story behind the story, I suppose. People like seeing that. Right. That's cool. Yes, um, that makes me think I should be posting more often to Instagram, which I most certainly should be. Well, I feel like if you, people are more likely to engage with a story by replying to a DM, like sending Mm. you a DM and reply to a story because it's private as well. They don't, like a lot of people don't want to put themselves out on 
a co- with a comment on a grid post, but they're more likely to reply to a story. Or if you put some polls on there, they'll take part in them. Or if you do a, a question box, they might ask a question. And all of that is engagement. It all feeds into the algorithm and shows Instagram that people are engaging with you. So if someone engages with your story, it shows the algorithm that they like what you're doing. And then they're more likely likely to see your grid posts further up their feed. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Mm. So from everything you've learned in the, from running the blog Academy, but doing your own blogging, can, can blog, is blogging still relevant? Well, I think um, blogging is going to have a resurgence. This mm. is my prediction. So I feel like from like 2014 to now, it's kind of been on the, dec- the decline. Like people can't be bothered with it. They don't see the point. They just want to put all their effort into social media. But I do feel that blogging has always had a place, especially if um, you're producing like searchable content. So I think that blogging is the best way to get traction to your website because you're updating it regularly. Google reads it, SEO, all that stuff. Um, so I've blogged the whole way through. But these days, like especially in this lockdown period where people are literally glued to their phones 24-7, <laughs> mm-hmm. you have a captive audience. So why not try and encourage them to click through to your website or offer them some content that you can't put on social media? Because Instagram has only got a 2,000 character limit. There's only so deep you can go with people on Instagram, whereas on a blog you can write endless amounts of content. Um And yes, you'll probably get less eyeballs on it initially because people have to click through or swipe up and people are really lazy when it comes to scrolling online. But it's all searchable content. It'll be there forever. My most most popular blog post of all time, I think I published it maybe five years ago. And it has had, I looked at it the other day, it has had 850,000 unique visits. And those have happened over that five-year period. And it's all from Google. So the blog post was about how to rescue your bleach damaged hair like if you bleached your hair and it's all damaged so it was all my tips about that people are googling that stuff every single day and that blog post gets traffic every single day from google wow if you if you if i put that up as an instagram or a tweet or a, a post on facebook it would have disappeared five years ago and no one would ever find it now but yeah, they that's find right. it on google and that's this is what tim ferris says about blogging it's like he tries to write blog posts that are evergreen now, sometimes right. you, you want to write stuff that's responding to where the world is right now, but other times you write stuff that will last forever in the same way that the core content of your blog course is still relevant, even though it's right. a few years old. And the other thing is, if you write a blog post, you can then repurpose that elsewhere. So you could take a section of that blog post and put it in an Instagram caption. You could take another section and put it in your newsletter. Like you can use that content all over the internet but having it hosted on your own platform is a brilliant thing to do because the other thing is we don't know what's going to happen with social media like they could delete instagram tomorrow and about 90 percent of companies would be completely fucked they have no business no i know i I mean and this is the thing people who are dependent on facebook and and originally using pages and then you find out oh facebook had decided not to show anybody stuff in the pages and they're also stuff yeah you know they're they're because the um the uh the people who normally do all the vetting and the moderation have been sent home. And for a while they couldn't work. Um, they had to use AI and stuff was just getting hoiked out of Facebook at random, you know, the completely legitimate posts. Yeah, so you, you, you never know. You don't own your content if it's only on social media. <laughs> Sorry, it was just something fell over outside. It sounded like somebody smacking on the window. Oh God. 
Yeah. yeah. So you don't you don't own your content if you're just putting it on social. They they can do whatever they like with it. They can delete you. There's someone I follow on Instagram who just this week had their Facebook account with 580,000 followers deleted out of the blue. Like, what the fuck is she gonna do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that so, is. It's really really worrying. Yeah, but yeah. you are completely at their mercy. And that's another reason why you should have a mailing list if you don't have a mailing list. And I procrastinated on doing a mailing list for so long because I was like, oh, I've got nothing to say. What's the point? But I started it maybe six months ago. And now I've got like three and a half thousand people's email addresses, like just in case. Yeah. No, so you weren't even building emails before then. It was all social media and stuff. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Wild, hey? <laughs> I'm still learning. I'm still figuring this stuff out as I go along. Yeah. Well, no, I think that's really interesting. And I think you're right that blogging has seen a bit of a resurgence because I I know for myself, I'm, I'm finding myself reading these like long uh, blog posts, often on Medium, but sometimes on people's personal sites and elsewhere. There is an analysis of the current situation with the coronavirus. And there's, you know, um, blogging is the only format that really does that. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I think is easy to consume. But for other reasons, I think it, it definitely has its place. You've also started a podcast, Kat. Is that right? What's, what's the, what drove you to want to create one? That is correct. So I have wanted to do a podcast for like, I don't know, two years. But I procrastinated on it because it seems like everybody has a podcast. And as I said, I don't like doing things that other people do. So I was like, I'm not going to do a podcast. Um, and then it was literally, you know, lockdown happened. I was like, I've got all this time on my hands. I'm just going to do it. And I procrastinated on it for so long because I thought it'd be really difficult. And then I figured it out in like a couple of hours how to do it. And I was like, oh, what the fuck was I worrying about? Um, so my podcast is called The Confidence Club Podcast. Um, I actually have an online course called The Confidence Club as well. Um, so the podcast is basically me talking about everything to do with like positivity, living a fun life, self-confidence, self-love body positivity, all that stuff. And I'm also interviewing some of my like favorite and most inspiring people. So I've done five episodes so far and it's like, it's so fun. I just love talking. So it's great. (laughs) I should have done it years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So Kat, where do we find out about everything you're doing, Rock and Roll Bride, the podcast and the Blog Academy? So my main website is rockandrollbride.com. So that's rock and roll with an N, not and, rockandrollbride.com. Um, and then my personal Instagram is the same. Um, the magazine Instagram is rock Unroll bride magazine. Uh, the blog Academy is the blog Academy without an A in the middle. So T H E B L O G C A D E M Y. Um, and the confidence club is just the confidence club podcast on Spotify and everywhere you find podcasts. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Kat. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ideas Lab podcast. Please do subscribe. And if you've enjoyed this episode, it would be great if you could leave us a review. You can get links and details of everything mentioned in the podcast in the show notes, along with photos and video clips from many of our episodes. Just go to theideaslab.org forward slash podcast.